Welcome to First Time Through. New Eyes on Castle Rock. With Kim Payne. And Otto Mullins. Welcome to First Time Through, New Eyes on Castle Rock. My name is Otto Mullins. And I'm Kim Payne. And this is going to be my first time through a winter's tale called The Breathing Method by Stephen King, a short story that can be found in different seasons. A collection that came out in, what was it, 87, Kim? 83, I believe. 83. All right. This was an early one. Yeah. Um, And what's cool, too, is, you know, now that I finished it, uh, there's a good little afterword. Um after all of the words are over and it essentially tells you about like the creation of each story and like the timing of each one and how like he wrote them in between other big novels that he was writing uh and i thought that was like it's really interesting um i liked it a lot yeah i always love the the constant reader letters where he gives us some insight into his process yeah definitely we're just gonna jump right into the breathing method then i guess right Oh, I feel like we should probably address this. You were probably listener expecting a bookmark episode, um, especially with the new schedule we've been setting up. And surprise, you did not get a bookmark episode. Instead, you got the final chapter of the book of season one. Well, not I guess it's not the final chapter because we're still going to put out the bookmark. You got the, the final, final story. story. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. The final story of season one. We're going to cover this one. We're going to give it our rating. We're going to give different seasons overall a rating. So that way uh, we can add it into the overall lexicon. Um, because uh, on the next bookmark, we're going to be discussing our ratings for everything during season one. We're going to discuss the community ratings. So please make sure you follow us on Facebook. Um, and participate in the tournaments that we have going on, as well as the ratings. You can check back down through our Facebook page. Um, we're going to create some community ratings, and uh, they're important to us. We're, we want to know how our ratings stack against yours. Give I'm excited just... to see how everything adds up. Yeah, no, it is going to be cool. Give me just a second. Mm-hmm. Onyx is uh, not being chill all of a sudden. Okay. Um, I'm really excited to see how those community uh, polls workout too i think uh, it's fun to see just what everybody else how it compares especially eyes of the dragon i didn't realize you guys i feel like we're the only ones that like that one kim i i don't know i don't understand it's such a great story i, mean, I thought it was going to be much more enjoyed by all yeah um but uh also check out soon uh we're going to have a promo for season two coming out we're going to talk about some of the books and the excitement that we're going to be doing and honestly the biggest thing you can do is when you see that just share it everywhere we're going to try and put it on tiktok and instagram and twitter and youtube everything as much stuff as we can uh, and try to really create some visibility for when we go live with season two um also fun little announcement uh we just secured a first paid sponsorship which is pretty pretty exciting for us um so we're going to be having some sponsorships starting in season two as well if you are interested in having some of your words read on our show, um, anything really, if you just want to say hi to a friend or you want to uh, just denounce the evils of Steven's love uh, or something, I don't know. It's up to you. Um, contact us right now. It's uh, We're only charging $20 for something to be read on the show. Um, you know, we're still growing and we're trying to secure our own website domain and all of these things. So 
Anything that you can do to help us helps us create more things. And thank you for helping we're, us create. We're also looking at making an appearance at our first horror convention in October. Which would be really exciting. Uh, and uh, we'll, we'll give you some more details on that when we have secured the funding and everything. Um, we're hoping, we, we were thinking about doing a GoFundMe and everything, but we, we want to we make sure that we can do it before we commit to it. Right. Um, but big things are in the work. We're working really, really hard, and it is because of your support and what you've done for us. So thank you. So the breathing method is an incredibly happy story. Uh, it's, you know, it's one of those stories that just brings a smile to your face and joy to your heart. And uh, those are lies. Also. <laughs> yeah, I've been telling you for a while that this was a really weird story. This is was the best I one. wrong? This is the best one. This is oh, the it's best great, story. but it's, it's weird. So oh, it's so cool though. It's so good. I love it so much. Um, okay, give so, us the give us the, the rundown. Re- okay, okay, okay. Ready? <clears throat> da 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 dum. Here comes your recap. The breathing method by Stephen King. In a couple of seconds. So. We find the main character whose name escapes me at the moment. David and Waterhouse. Waterhouse is the guy that tells the story. George. Right? No, George McCarran's Waterhouse is the one. McCarran is the one who tells the story. Uh, George Waterhouse is the one that invites him. Okay. Um, so we open our story on David Adley. And the, this story is really, really cool in my opinion, because of the way that Steve frames it. So we open up on this story of Stephen Adley, who is telling us, the reader, a story. David David. David Adley. We open up on David Adley, who is telling us, the reader, a story about the first time he went to this gentleman's club that he's associated with. And at this gentleman's club that he's associated with, it's located on some random street in some random brown house. And it's very, it gives you the address. And I'm not, it, but it's very ambiguous. It, it's, it's trying to tell you that it just looks like a normal house. But when you get there, there's a butler there who knows every single person's name, opens the door, and you get to just go in and hang out. They have every single liquor imaginable. They have books that have never been published before. Uh, and it's just kind of, uh, it is the elite of the elite gentleman's club um, and he gets invited by a guy named Waterhouse who he works with and they also work with a guy named McCarran and so the point of this gentleman's club that you slowly start to realize throughout the novel or throughout the short story is they come together to tell tales to tell stories to because that seems to be the way that they communicate history it seems to be the way that uh, importance is put into the world for them and so they will get together and they will give one person the entire evening to tell their stories. And at least David sets up the importance of a guy named McCarran. McCarran, throughout the story, we get glimpses and pieces of his story. But then towards the end, uh, right in the middle, it starts breathing method. Um, it's set up into two sections. So, you know, we get the exposition of Adley discovering the place. And then we get the uh, story itself. Mm-hmm. Um, so one night he goes to the gentleman's club and McCarran is there telling a story and it is the most memorable story he's ever heard. In fact, he had to go home and write down this, this short story because of it. And it is the story of a woman who is giving birth, uh, who is pregnant. She has uh, come to him in the like 30s, I think, or 40s. It, it, it's, 
particularly important about the time period, it's an earlier 1900s time period because it's a little bit more antiquated towards women. Uh, single women who are pregnant are just shamed. And, you know, it's, it's something that you, there's still a little bit of it today. Like, I think it'd be ignorant to say that it's not. I mean, I can't tell you the amount of people who I've seen, like, thumb their noses at pregnant women that are single. But that's not the point. But then, it, yeah, it was 1935. So it's even this... worse, worse. Than oh, that. yeah, yeah. Oh, so yeah. So real bad. Real bad. So she goes to this doctor, McCarran, and McCarran uh, is willing to take care of her. And throughout the course of it, you know, he comes to he denies that he's in love with her but he's very much in love with her i think he just admires her spirit and like who she is as a person and wants to help her so maybe it's not a romantic love but there is love there and he teaches her about these uh hindi breathing methods called uh, and different ways that she can uh, breathe while she's giving birth and they're very common methods they're methods now they're still used today um, absolutely but in the 30s, they were cutting-edge technology. No one used box breaths in the 30s. It was just something that didn't, it wasn't spread. So one night when she's finally about to give birth, she's on her way to the hospital, and the doctor is on his way to the hospital, and it's a snowy, terrible night, and she gets in an accident and dies. But her body is still alive and stays alive long enough to deliver the baby. And... It's particular because the body is still breathing in the way that he taught her how to breathe. So it gives the doctor the sense that those box breaths and everything are what uh, pretty much allowed her to live for moments way beyond she should have been able to and uh, deliver that baby in a safe way. And he ends his story and everybody's just kind of like in shock and awe because there are some twists that I purposefully left out to tell you later on. And, uh, you know, it's really cool because then it ends it with a Dark Tower illusion to me. And I was like, what? Why is the Dark Tower making an appearance here? <laughs> mm -hmm. And uh, that was pretty exciting for me. Um, at least, I'm, and I'm, I, this is just me assuming it's the Dark Tower. You know, I've only read the one novel. And so I, I kind of am just hoping that it's everywhere. And I'm I'm really excited about getting into the the third one in season two, um, but uh, you mean the second one, the second one that's just called Drawing of the Three. So it's, yeah, yeah, it is. It it's yeah. I know. I do that too. <laughs> so that's the breathing method. Um, I think, like I have already said, this is my favorite short story in this one. It is really interesting, and it is written incredibly well it's written so cool my favorite thing about it is that and we'll talk about this when we get to the production pitch is that the focus isn't on the the horror or the flashback or anything the focus is on the guy telling the story mm -hmm. and so there's moments where like you get kind of taken out of the story because you get interrupted by these other people and you can see this man getting very emotional while he's telling this story and well, yeah, and it's about him telling the story and the the room he's telling the story in. Yeah. His, yeah, I mean, yeah. I think that's a really neat perspective. And I think it just made it 
a very different story than if it would have just been the story of a doctor who experienced this. And that, yes. that that's what makes it special. That's what is going to give it a real high it factor later on. I agree. All right. So we launch into this and uh, we get into this one. This one's for Peter and Susan Straub. Familiar names just coming out of the Eye of the Dragon, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so... It's crazy that he just dedicated this book to, like, imaginary characters in his last book, though, right? Well, no, Peter, <laughs> I mean, Peter is his friend, and I'm sure, I'm pretty sure that Susan is Peter's wife, and they're Ben's parents, so, you know, okay. they're, they're actual people. I mean, he wrote, he wrote a couple books with Peter, so. We'll get to one eventually. There's eventually. Just There's just so stuff. many. Um. So we open up, and it is, we find out December 23rd is when um, David is going to the club this time. And the story is, from this point, very jumpy. It goes back and forth. Yeah, the timeline is not linear in this. Because we get, you know, like, this is where I'm starting, but oh, I should tell you how I got here. And, And that's exactly what it is. It is very conversational. It is very much like... Your friends came over. It's like David Adley came to my house after all of this happened, and he was telling me about it. And mm-hmm. he was like, oh, but you don't know about the club in general. Okay, I got to tell you about the club first. And right. it's it's just so inviting. And It is. For a story that is set in such a cold place, and it's got such a cold theme and feel throughout it immediately, like just, you know, you read a winter's tale, and it, it gives you a sense of, like, chill to the bone a little bit. So going into this with that cold presence and then having that immediate warmth of this storyteller is really good. Right. It's you, it's a cold story sitting next to a warm fireplace. Exactly. It's very dynamic. It adds a lot to mm-hmm. it. Um, so David Adley is telling us about how he's heading in, in a taxi, and uh, he ends this segment telling us it was McCarran's turn to tell the tale. Um, you know, a lot of this opening stuff, I feel like it's – we're going to be a little bit more brief with it than I think uh, it is with itself, just because it takes a lot longer to tell us the information than, than to what you say actually it out mean. loud. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, yeah. And it, it flashes back at that point where he's like, oh, well, I guess I should tell you about the club. And we find mm-hmm. out, you know, it's that brownstone and uh, that he was invited one day by Waterhouse at work. Yeah, so David is an attorney, like a junior attorney, and Waterhouse is a partner in the firm that he works for. So, you know, of course, when he gets this invitation, he thinks, ooh, advancement. Yep, and and that's what he talks about to his wife. He goes home that night and he's like, man, I just got uh, this invitation to this uh, super cool, like, gentleman's club that all the, like, upper management is a part of. And I'm really excited to, like, go to it because I think it's going to help me get a promotion. Um, and, and his wife, I, I, maybe he's not too excited. I think he's a little hesitant at first. Um, yeah, I think at first that it's safe to say he's hesitant. And, you know, and his wife, you know, um, kind of teasing him about it being a gentleman's club and, you know, just being a place where men could go be, you know, pigs. Um probably taints that just a little bit <laughs> yeah exactly and, and i think too it is like a gentleman's club doesn't have a good connotation in any way like well, right right so, and it's not that kind of gentleman's club at all mm-hmm. so 
he ends up going on the night he was invited, and uh, I thought it was fun. It's at 249B East 35th Street, um, which I feel like is definitely like a little allusion to some Sherlock Holmes. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I just, so that's fun. Um, and uh, it has a plaque when he's walking up that said, it is the tale, not he who tells it. And Waterhouse walks him in, and uh, he ends up meeting the first person. His name is Stevens. And Stevens is the omniscient bartending butler. Butler, yeah, I mean, he's... He takes care of uh, the Gentleman's Club. And um, it is, he, he walks in, and it, it it's immediately just gives you this sense of elegant magnificence. And also the TARDIS. Did, did you get that feeling when you read it? I did. Ab- yeah. I absolutely did. And, and so because, it's just, it's been you know, on the inside. It's a New York City brownstone that he describes as going on and on and on. Mm-hmm. It's like it's the whole block of brownstones or something. Yeah. So um, just having that uh, idea of him like walking into this giant like place, like with a, like, multiple sitting rooms in New York City is just incredible. And he walks in, he gets himself a drink, he gets a scotch, and he just kind of uh, starts to mingle. He walks around, and he's always been a great reader. And so um, he walks over to the bookshelves, and we start to get, this is where it gets real interesting. There are people on these shelves and books that exist that don't exist anywhere else. So it is just, you know, books, uh, like entire trilogies by a name named Edward Gray Seville. And it's just not anywhere else. Um, And he's never heard of them before. Well, and some of them are stories and volumes by people he has heard of, but not stories or poems or anything that he had ever heard of or could find anywhere when he started doing his research. So he ends up just reading these books that he'd never heard of and these poems by people that he's adored for so long that he's never read these poems before. Um, and he ends up hanging out all night and uh, he leaves and then he has the most relatable bout of anxiety that I've ever seen in a person like in before. It, it is it is just so relatable. Oh, it um, is. So after he leaves his first time, he doesn't go back for months because he assumes that he was only invited for the one time and he doesn't want to just be presumptuous and show up. But they had explicitly told him that since he'd been invited once, he can come back whenever he wants. Exactly. There's no invitations. There's no assumptions. Just come. Right. Like, you know, when you come back to my house for a meal, you know where my kitchen is. You know, the second time you come to my house, you know where the kitchen is. Those where the glasses are. Fix yourself a drink. Yeah, exactly. Some people, some people are real comfortable with that. You know, once you've been to my house, you're you're not a guest anymore. You're part of my family. And some people are not. So I can relate to that in such a, a huge way because I'm the same way. And I think some too, places I feel perfectly comfortable. Other places, mm-hmm. not at all. And I think, too, for David, it's particular because he is uh, this junior attorney going to hang out with all of his bosses, essentially. So he feels out of place, for sure. He feels out of place. He feels um, overclassed, for sure. Yeah, that's a good word for it. Um, 
and so he doesn't end up going back for months and his wife makes fun of him a little bit um and you know eventually he just decides i'm gonna go back um and there's a lot and we say make fun of him but she teases him in a gentle way yeah no they yeah, you can tell that the, you can tell that they're in love and that she's teasing yeah. him in that friendly sort of i love you but you're being ridiculous way <laughs> yep exactly and and it's really nice um so he goes back and the he walks in and steven's remembers his name exactly he hasn't been there in like four or five months he only showed up once this butler knows his name and his drink order still like talk about good service um he ends up uh going back to the club hanging out reading some more books and this is his first time that he hears one of these tales being told um and i think you know there's not a lot of other stories in the book in this short story and that's on purpose um, David right, because the focus is absolutely on the story that stuck with him. Mm-hmm. Um, but he, he does give us these glimpses of these stories, and they're not particularly themed, it feels. Some of them are particularly gory and savage and terrible. Um, some of them just seem to be like slices of life. Um, but it seems to be that like whatever the tale you tell, it, it's it's important that when you do it in this room that like everybody has your you have the attention of everyone and that kind of stuff. Yeah, and and it's important also that they they save their the special stories, the ones that are really remarkable for Christmas time. Mm-hmm. Um, and they start to, um, after he's been there a couple of times, he starts to, it's, it's starting to get towards Christmas time, which is, in the writing, very cool, because that's where we started the story. So, you know, it, it's, it's, it's not particularly a new trope by any means. I just think that the way Steve does it here is very elegant and graceful. And, you know, mm-hmm. he sets it up, and then he sends you into this other story. It's good and satisfying enough that you get a little distracted so that way by the time this timeline catches up to the 23rd of the uh that christmas day when they come to share these stories you're just like oh we're back at where we started that's awesome good job yeah it, it is it is a very smooth uh transition and you know so we're we're back to that and and now it's uh he says oh that explains the comment i heard on my very first visit the one that off one to the effect that Norman Stett should have saved his story for Christmas. Yeah, so it gives us that cyclical part of part one. Um. Uh, oh, I thought. Well, and you know, he also comments that the Christmas meeting, the the one that is the week before Christmas, usually, or you know, like right the the last one right before christmas eve um that it's usually much more well attended and that there were as many as said sometimes as many as 18. so the club meets every week but only sometimes everybody comes you know sometimes they just come and 
play billiards and, and read. And other times when there's going to be a story, lots of people come, especially at Christmas time. I think, too, I was just looking at like all of these times. Uh, in particular, I started to get into this Christmas time when he goes in. And it says in these bold letters again, it is the tale, not he who tells it. And I've just mm-hmm. realized it's Stephen King goes out of his way to point that out every single time he enters this house. So even when it's just a passing entrance, you know, we get that it's not it's the tale, not he who tells it, Um, which is just it's really interesting. It gives you this entire short story gives you this magical sense about this gentleman's club and this place, but it it will never go into it. And so it's just such a fun thing to explore in your imagination for me. I really enjoy it a lot. Well, and we've talked about, you know, that there are several quotes that I just really, really love throughout the the Stephen King universe and that's one of them oh yeah definitely Um, that's one of them so we're there on Christmas McCarran is the one who's uh, volunteered to tell a story he is a well-to-do gentleman Um, he's a doctor Um, we haven't really like met or like we're not we don't know much about McCarran up to this point we just know he's there and he's we've met his name a couple of times and he's said a couple of things and, uh, yeah, we don't get a lot of background on anybody except for David. Yep. David's really the only one that we get any background on. Well, and that's the point. It's not the tale. It's not the it's the tale, not he who tells not it. Not he who tells it. Exactly. And I feel like in so many of Stephen's stories, we get such huge character development that this is the exact opposite of that. It's a nice juxtaposition from after apt pupil and, uh, you know, where we'd get these big long breaks where all of a sudden the um, the Palestinian investigator is introduced and we get three like chapters of just his backstory and life before he matters in the story. Um, here we get maybe half a paragraph of this is this man and this is what he looked like and then he spoke. Um, so it, it shows you for me, that juxtaposition of, yes, Stephen can craft that backstory and make you care about that character and his words because of like what's happened to him, but he can also just tell you a good enough story that you're going to care because it's interesting. Right, because um, the characters aren't the important part of the story. The story is. Yeah, it's the tale that he who tells it. Exactly. I like that a lot. That That's a good one. That'd be a good tattoo. Um, so Ooh, maybe that's what we get for our podcast anniversary. Mm. Kim and I are talking about getting tattoos for our podcast anniversary, and so we're trying to figure out what it is. I was thinking the logo would be good, too, but yeah. anyway, we'll figure it out. We digress. Um, <laughs> so we get into the Christmas story. McCarran starts to speak, and uh, we get it is now split into the second part of the short story. We get a big old Roman numeral two, and it's called The Breathing Method. So... You can. It immediately gives you that sense of everything we've read before this. That was just set up for this. This is like why you're reading this. This is. Yeah, this the is the story. Mm-hmm. This is the tale. So, um, McCarran starts to tell us the story of when he was a doctor in the early 1900s. He went to World War One as a medical. Uh, as a uh, battle medic. nurse. Med- right. Medic. Thank you. Battle medic. Um, and he returns in 26, 1926. And let's just say he is not doing well mentally. 
Um, I can't imagine anyone in the trenches of World War One did particularly well mentally coming back to the Great Depression. Yeah, so, yeah. I mean, even, yeah, no, yeah. not at all. Luckily, he was a doctor, and so he's able to get a job at a hospital, and he starts to work on that and work on himself, and he works his way up at the hospital. Um, and, and, uh, and he determines that, you know, he, this is in a time before really specialization in doctors, but he is fascinated by pregnancy and birth. So he kind of specializes in that because he feels like birth is a wondrous event. And, and it's interesting though. I just, he thinks it's, I, I just thought this was a cool, just like interesting concept on it. Right. He thinks it's beautiful and wonder, or he thinks it's really wonderful, but he expressly says he thinks it's super gross and weird and not beautiful. It, he, he talks about how like the uterus is like a machine and it's super complex and interesting. And like the fact that like a woman carries it is magnificent and amazing and wonderful, but the entire process super gross. And I just thought mm -hmm. that like, yeah, that's like the fairest uh, concept of pregnancy to me. It's just acknowledging all the aspects of it. 100% agree. Um, and so he, like Kim says, he becomes uh, the early stages of an OBGYN before an OBGYN exists. And he gets uh, starts to like, get his uh, patients going, he starts to meet a lot of people, and he starts to get a name for himself, and he starts to take care of a woman in 1935 by the name of Sandra Stansfield. Um, and that's definitely not her real name. He even says that name is close enough to what her, really, her name really was. Um, and he tells us she's white and she's 28, um, and she's blonde and small and uh, or tall, and she's slender. Um, and she's obviously very pretty. And I think that after, I think that if you can describe someone 50 years later down to a T, you might have a misconnection. I think that, yes, I think you're probably right. <laughs> there was definitely a little bit more chemistry there than you're allowing yourself to realize, McCarran. Well, or yes, I think that, yes, that's part of it. But also, as we find out, it was a very remarkable situation. And even Let's if it's say, not necessarily a connection, sometimes when you meet people in a remarkable situation, good, bad, or otherwise, they are memorable. And I think, let's just say her entire visage, her face and head are incredibly memorable to this man. <laughs> um, so... We, uh, <laughs> oh my gosh. Oh, oh, I'm so funny. Foreshadowing. This is why you listen to this podcast is for this comedy routine oh right here. Oh my gosh. So we learn a little bit more about Sandra. We find out that she's pregnant, that she was impregnated by, uh, well, it, it seems it, it's a little vague in some ways. Yeah. They they never really go into the details of who the father is, just that he's not there. She might be a sex worker. She might not be a sex worker. Um, it, it's just, it, it doesn't matter. 
because it's about what she goes through after he meets her, not what she was before, which is also like, it's a, just a, it's a very beautiful sentiment. You know, I'm meeting the person that you are now, not the person you were. Right. Well, and you know, he goes on, I mean, like almost half a page about that he admired her because she knew who she was and what was going on and how she was going to handle it. And she didn't, she wasn't embarrassed by the situation or shy or blushing or crying or carrying on. She was very businesslike about yep. everything. And she, she's um, like, this is where, this is my position. This is what I do. This is where I am. What, how, what are we going to do to take care of things? And the doctor is really respectful of her. And he accepts all of these things in a way that like makes her feel comforted. And I think that, uh, you know, that's at least how McCarran sees it. And at the end of their first meeting, he says uh, she had given her a, a fake name when she first checked in. And at the end of their first meeting, he essentially says, if we're going to do business and I'm going to take care of you, I need to know your real name. So she tells him Sandra Stansfield and um, they go off their way. Um, and you get... Now it starts to just, uh, it, it's, this is a little bit of more of a montage part. And we start to just see these different meetings of when he would meet with this woman. And so, like, the first time they meet, he uh, teaches her about prenatal vitamins and the importance of taking vitamins and not staying on her feet too long and all this stuff. But she also is working at a jewelry counter at Macy's or something like that. Mm -hmm. um, and so she has to stay on her feet. Um, she but she's also aware that as as soon as she starts showing that she's pregnant, that she's going to lose that job because exactly. she's a single woman in New York City in 1935. Selling jewelry. Selling like jewelry to high-end high customers, yeah. Mm -hmm. So she is constantly asking him, when am I going to start showing? Does it? When do you think I'm going to start showing? Uh, and she doesn't – she gets a little lucky because she doesn't seem to show very fast. Um but then one day she just kind of shows all of a sudden, all at once. And that's usually how it happens. Yeah. But so he gives her a book at one of their meetings that he calls uh, A Practical Guide to Pregnancy and Delivery. And, you know, it's just his, it's his own personal thing that he's put together, you know, and again, he talks about the vitamins and nutrition. And then that's where he talks about the different types of breathing to get through the different parts of labor. And, right. you know, we've already talked about that Sandra is very businesslike and very practical. So she really like reads it cover to cover and learns all the things and, and puts it into practice because, you know, that's who she, that's who he, uh, he portrays her as, as a person. Yeah. She's very, she's taking it all serious in a way that is not emotional almost she just doesn't want she's not allowing any error essentially is the way that I've always I had like understood it in my head you know what I mean because mm -hmm. I feel like you know she's taking it at a level of seriousness that she would take a, a, like she probably does take selling jewelry um, and so she learns all of these different breathing methods and he goes out and like you know even in the time that he lives in currently in the 70s and 80s, it's called the Lamaze method. It's much more commonly known. People know about these different types of breathing. Um, so Sandra I mean, they goes, have classes for it that they yeah. recommend that every pregnant woman take. Um, so she goes into uh, 
work uh, a couple of days later after having all these things and she comes back to work or comes back to him and she tells him this story of the breathing method and how when she got really angry she started doing the like chugga chugga choo choo ones uh, the locomotive at the end, the, it's like the final stage of the Lo Maz method. Um, I don't know why you're not jumping in here. I don't know anything about this. You do. <laughs> no, I, well, yeah, a little bit. Um, but yeah, I mean, she just uses it as a, a calming technique. I mean, it's just like what we do now. You know, you stop and you breathe deep and you count to 10 um, to not, you know, punch the boss that's being nasty and rude to you. And um, some days you're more successful than others, right? Yeah. 100 <laughs> percent um and she points out like there's this fun little section here where she says it's a little like self-hypnosis isn't it and you know you kind of realize and think about stephen king for me and this is something that i actually remember talking to you about this a little bit uh is and we talked about it in eyes of the dragon with a fasting but you know these breathing methods and all of this stuff it, it is so hindi inspired Mm -hmm. and absolutely and so stephen king is just using this wide berth of this knowledge from other cultures to influence what like can happen in these stories and and even in such like a base like realistic story like this or at least what seems to be realistic so far um and she is just super satisfied with like how it all comes out um, right well i mean and it is i mean from experience i can tell you it really is like self-hypnosis and again yep it's applied we i know i do and i'm sure you do we use it all the time just in different applications yeah we all I mean, I mean i mean i told my kids when they were little you when they would be upset just stop and breathe deep and count to 10 and then let's talk about it again or then we'll deal with it or whatever i mean it's the same thing yeah and um it's just interesting to think about how that concept wasn't widespread even not even a hundred years ago. Right. And now it's every day. Yeah. Constant. Um, so Sandra gets fired from her job. She gets a severance pay and you know, we get a very, I think that for me, this was the most touching moment where um, McCarran talks about how if he, she wanted to she could sue them um and sh they have this moment talking about how courts are just boys club and how since she's a single mother she would just pretty much get thrown out of court and like all this stuff and it, you just kind of get this sense of this old man really realizing how terrible things were for women and just kind of trying to impress on the, the rest of this gentleman's club like hey like Things were really bad for women, and they're not that much better in the 80s yet. I was going to say, and, you know, this is set in the, you know, 70s or 80s, and, you know, women couldn't even have credit cards in their own name until the mid-80s. So, I mean, things weren't that different when it's he the, wrote this versus when he set this. It was in the 70s. It doesn't say what year in the 70s in the front. It actually says December 23rd, 1907. Oh, yeah, you're right. It does. It says seven dash. So, you know. It's, okay, so the 70s. So not so even particularly worse for women than it would have been in the 80s. So, mm -hmm. and, and it's it's just a very, no matter, like, how much I rail on, like, his, like, the way he presents things, like, Stephen King is obviously a progressive writer and always has been. 
And, you know, and that's why I think that I can overlook some of the things that are a little less progressive as just being a product of the time. And then he mm -hmm. learned from it. And so when his newer stuff, you know, he doesn't make those same mistakes because in so many ways, so many of his things are way ahead of where society was at the time. And I'm sure I heard it somewhere in an interview that there are things that he would go back and change. Oh, yeah. He because said because like, of that, like rage um, isn't even allowed to be published anymore because he doesn't want anyone to ever read that again. Exactly. And that's, so, you know, yeah, the, the power of words, the, the power of the tale. As it may be. So McCarran um, starts to get into the flesh of the story. The the re the ending of the story really not the flesh we're mm -hmm. at the, we've had the flesh and he tells us that it is starting to get closer to Christmas Day just like it was now and uh, she had been experiencing a lot of anxieties and stuff and he was not able to come and help her like he had been um, and so he's starting to get very anxious about it and we get into a dream corner, dream corner. there's only one dream in this short story so it's very uh, I mean, I mean it's only dirty. like 60 pages so well and the dream's only two sentences long and yeah. it is just a uh uh she's in here i'll just uh here it is ready in the dream i opened the door to my consulting room and found sandra stansfield in there she was wearing the brown pumps, the smart white linen dress with the brown edging, and the slightly out-of-date cloche hat. Is that how you say cloche? Is that it cloche? Is. All right, good. Mm -hmm. But the hat was between her breasts because she was carrying her head in her arms. The white linen was stained and streaked with gore. Blood jetted from her neck and splattered the ceiling. And then her eyes fluttered open, those wonderful hazel eyes, and they fixed on mine. Doomed, the speaking head told me. Doomed, I'm doomed. There's no salvation without suffering. It's cheap magic, but it's all we have. That's when I woke up screaming. Um, so that's the dream we get. If you have read the short story, very prophetic, you know, like, mm -hmm. um, yeah, first time I it read absolutely it. absolutely is. Yeah, it's like, oof. Um, I think the first time I read it, I just kind of didn't take it as foreshadowingly as I could have. And I took it more as just, um, as, uh, you know, symbolism. Like, you know, this is not going to go well. Um, and this woman's going to die in labor. Like, right. Well, and, you know, I think that it speaks to, if you don't know the rest of the story, that it kind of just speaks to his sense of helplessness. You know, because there's only so much that he can do for her. And there's no guarantees that it's going to be enough. It makes me think, too, of this sense of the white and black that Stephen King has created in his Steve-averse. That's what we're calling it from now on, by the way. Okay, the Steve-averse. The Steve-averse. And so in the Steve-averse, it seems that these, uh, I don't know, I don't want to say uh, paragons, because that's too much, uh, those were too important of a word, but, you know, these these embodiments of the white or the black they do get these glimpses of the future they do get these glimpses of what's to come yeah that's yes and i think that this could be you know for me we're going to get into it in just a like honestly there's only like 10 pages left in the story um there's more things that make this a touch point to the dark tower for me once we get into mm -hmm. it, just a few bit more pages and that's what makes me think that this mccarran guy could be a uh uh you know a 
a, a, a gunslinger of sorts. Yeah, exactly. Oh my god. Oh my god. Mm. I swear to God, Kim. I swear <laughs> to God. <laughs> ah! I I know though too. Like that's the thing about this like particular house in New York. Like Jake came from this world of New York. So yep. it, and this. Well, well and okay. Let's so just finish did... the story. Okay, okay. Hold on. So yep. okay. um, he wakes up and it's December tenth. On December seventeenth, or she... yeah, her due date of December tenth came and went. So you know, his estimate. He told her it could be two weeks either way. So his estimate was a little off. Mm-hmm. Um, and right after that, uh, probably a couple weeks later, um, Christmas Eve, um, she goes into labor, and. You know, it is Christmas Eve in New York. This city is just jam-packed with traffic. It's snowing heavy. Um, And so she starts her way to get there. And he starts to get his way to get there. Yeah, she calls a cab. Yeah. Uh, And, you know, because not an ambulance, because that would have been way too expensive. Which, I mean, yeah, me too. If I ever am in an accident, I'm going to call an Uber instead of, like, an ambulance. Like, that's way too expensive for me. I don't got that kind of money. Um, So... She's in the cab, and her labor starts in the cab. So she's doing like it moves. It moves to the more serious level. She's in le- she's in early labor when she calls the cab, yeah, and it thank moves you to the clarifying. it moves to another stage of labor while she's in the cab. And so, of course, she's following her breathing methods that that Dr. McCarran taught her. And um, she and she starts to slip into that like Lamaze chugga chugga choo choo hypnosis stage, and. Um, she uh, is and in it that freaks s- out the cabbie. Yeah, because, yeah. He's I mean, not can you imagine? It. You know, he's like got this extremely pregnant woman in his car, and she's breathing all weird and acting funny <laughs> because that's not typical yeah. of the time. And, and, and so he's out of like his mind, and as he's coming into the uh, emergency room entrance, a hospital, or not a hospital, an entire hospital is also coming into the emergency room. An ambulance is swinging into the emergency room, and they end up colliding. And this woman gets thrown uh, towards the side of the car. The doctor, uh, McCarran, had quite literally just parked his car and gotten on the first step of the hospital when this happened in front of him. He gets this terrible feeling in his belly and he runs over to the car and as he's running over to the car, he kicks something, looks down, and it's the woman's head. That was the ballerest thing that I've read in a while, dude. It was yeah. so cool. Yeah. Uh, oh my gosh. Woof. So and uh like okay there was something terribly wrong with that figure, but I honestly didn't believe I knew what it was until my foot struck something with a heavy enough thud to almost send me sprawling again. The thing I'd kick skittering away, like the young woman's purse, it slid rather than rolled. Blood streaked, but it was still recognizably blonde, speckled with bits of glass. She gets in this accident. Her head gets cut off, clean cut off. He kicks it on his way over, and then all of a sudden... He can see that her body is still breathing. Yes. So he runs over to the body, and it's still doing the Lamaze method that he had been teaching her. And he realizes that he can take save the baby. So he starts to straight up try to deliver this woman's baby, this headless woman's baby, from mm-hmm. this cab. And it's not a C-section or anything. It's a natural birth. Right. 
and just right so, there on the street because in the middle he, of this accident too right. like she didn't pull her out of like the accident or anything either he just took the body where it was and like started this procedure a nurse comes over and tries to help him and he starts shouting at these nurses and everything because he's you know obviously like this body's got seconds at most and the body ends up staying alive for like five or six minutes she gives birth to the baby and then he looks over at the head and the head mouse thank you and then closes its eyes yes the body breathing all the while the head breathing all the while so there is this and and that is the end of the story i got some chills right there um and it is it's awesome that's a great story it's super cool the best thing about it is that it's not when it's told to you in this story it is not just it's not about that time period it's not a flashback you know you're not there experiencing all of it you are being told a tale by a gentleman and so it is just there are moments where like you can feel that his word choice is chosen because of those emotional moments that he's there and he's getting more frustrated as he remembers those more difficult parts uh, mm-hmm. and, and it's just really really well written it, it is it's spectacular it's really good um yeah so well then, and and the baby lives yeah and and is adopted and goes on to become very successful uh so you know i think it's really neat that that we wrap it up with a happy ending for the child at least you know which is business like mom would absolutely want that's fine take me out of the picture as long as my baby lives and is successful and happy and has all the things. Right. And, um, and you know, oh, uh, and so he finishes his story and it kind of like zooms out to the people that were listening. And uh, he tells us like, yeah, the guy's famous and you know, I've seen him once and he had his mother's determination and his mother's Hazel's eyes. And that's the end of the tale. Um, and we get into part three, which is only like two pages long. Mm-hmm. And it's called The Club. And it's essentially Stevens and David, David leaving. And uh, he wants to ask Stephen a question. And he wants to ask him, where, where do all these things come from? But suddenly as he does... Stevens looks in his eyes and he just gets this like sense of don't do that overcoming him. And he mm-hmm. looks up the stairs and the stairs like have this like magical like zoom out thing. So it looks like they're so much bigger than they were. And he just says, there's more tales. There's always more tales. And uh, the cabbie drops him off and he says, good night. And, uh, it ends and it says always more tales indeed there have been and one day soon perhaps i'll tell you another um and uh the biggest thing for me that makes me feel like this is a tower connection is when he says steven says or no david says are there many rooms upstairs and steven says oh yes sir a great many a man could become lost in fact men have become lost sometimes it seems to me they go on for miles rooms and corridors I think this could be the entrance to the tower or something like that. I you think it I is mean? definitely an entrance, an entrance point to the different worlds. Um, yeah. Because the the follow up is entrance entrances and exits. Oh yes. Oh yes. 
And so that would explain if it is, you know, entrances and exits is through doorways and stuff, that would explain all of these different tales from these different places and different versions of poets and like what they wrote versus what he knew. Um, and it also just explains the massive size. Right, right. Because it's, it's a portal. Oh, it would also explain the demon butler. I forgot about that one. Oh, yeah. The yeah, magic the butler. demon butler. He's <laughs> right. He, for sure, for sure. And he right, talks- because he also talks about how he, you know, he went to the club for over 10 years and that Stevens never aged and always remembered and always remembered everybody's everything. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting, too, because when we're first introduced uh, to the upstairs and he talks about it, uh, we skipped over. We didn't skip over. It just wasn't such a consequential detail at the time. He hears a thumping upstairs. Mm -hmm. And to me, it was like in the stand when Stu is escaping and he sees the giant figure. You know, it wasn't too important, but it was also like, what the heck was that? That was terrifying. Um, So it's just one of those things, too. It really uh, it gives you those illusions of like what's upstairs. Like there's more to tell here. And it's fun. It's interesting. Um, So that's the breathing method. Uh, I really enjoyed it a lot. I feel like it's time for us to uh, rate the breathing method then. I think so. I think so. Let me get that spreadsheet up here in front of me so that I don't have to go back and fill it in later. Okay, I'm ready. Smart, smart. So here is a little bit of... uh, Here is a little bit of uh, just uh, to talk about our rating system, right? So... We uh, rate all of our stories on three different factors. We, uh, it is plot, writing, and it factor. Um, our plot would be the story itself, um, you know, the twists and turns and the characters and the backstory of those characters and just, you know, that general feeling of it. Is it cliched? Have we read it 50 times before and that kind of thing? Um, the writing is the actual literary devices and word choices and sentence structure that Steve uses. And the mm-hmm. it factor is that indescribable feeling about that indescribable feeling you get when you read a book and you have to tell your friend about it. Um, and that's kind of what we judge it all on on a scale of 30. And we keep track of it. And uh, don't forget next week or, well, whenever the next episode is for you, if you're listening to this in the future. Our next episode, we'll be talking about all of the rankings we did for season one, and uh, I reserve the right to change my mind on any of them in that episode. But then after that, they're set forever. Set right. well, forever. And yeah, because it's important as you step away from it and soak things in a little bit that your feelings about it may change a little. So Yeah, we deserve reflection is what we're saying. Exactly. So, the breathing method. How, Kim, would you rate it for the plot? I think the plot is a nine. I, this story is just, just different. It's different and it's engaging and it's not necessarily a story I've heard before. No, definitely. And the, and, uh, it is a lot of different story, like characters and, um, things. They're not really like well fleshed out in particular, but the ones that are very interesting and even like Stevens, you know, is interesting. Um, well, and and I don't know that the plot necess- the plot of this story didn't necessarily require that because it was really this was a the story was the story. Yeah, and like that's what the whole thing is. You know, it's not mm-hmm. the tale; it's the tale, not the one who tells it. Um, right. I would I was also going to give it a nine because I okay. just don't think it, it's not it's not a perfect gun. Uh, yeah, I'm going to go with nine. 
I think it's it's just fantastic. I really enjoyed it a lot. Uh, writing for me, this one it was a nine too, mm-hmm. just because uh, it wasn't you know it's no gunslinger writing. There isn't like these really cool allusions and literary uh, witticisms that I was falling in love with, um, but there is some really great framing and some really good elegance in the writing. Right, because it's still a really powerful story, and the writing is engaging and it draws you in and you absolutely want to know what happens on the next page i was also going to give the writing a nine so Mm -hmm. perfect all righty so it factor i'm going to give the it factor on this one an eight just because it always struck me as so creepy that i have a hard time recommending it um i love the story and it's really good and it's really engaging but it's not for everybody I personally, I want to tell everyone about this one, and I hear that. Um, I guess, though, that's kind of the thing, though, is the it factor of, like, are we trying to convince people that they should read Stephen King books with the it factor? Or is the it factor just, like, you're going to talk about this story with your significant other or someone else later, and hopefully they read it? Yeah, I mean, I think that it's a little bit of both. Okay. But... This is definitely not one I would recommend to introduce somebody to Stephen King. Yeah, this is a hard entry point. So, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, I'd give it a seven. I hear you. Okay. All righty. So that makes that... A 25 for me, I think. Nine and nine, A 25 from you and a 26 from me. There we go. So the overall rating is 25.5. All right. That's great. 25.5 on that one, which would be like, what, 8.7 something if we did it all the way down to the 10 scale. Still, though, pretty good. Uh, And we'll talk about that. We're going to we'll go over all of our ratings and everything in particular. Uh, And don't forget, tell us how you rate the breathing method. Um, There'll be a post out when this episode comes out. And uh, we'd love to hear what you think. Um, Other than that, uh, different seasons. I, I. I was thinking we could rate different seasons as a whole, but I feel like we've we've just spent this whole time like rating them individually that it feels pointless now. Yeah, it feels really weird to do that. So I'm not sure that that is. I like the way we treated them as four separate novellas, and I think that that's because what we'll they do. are. They are four separate stories, and they are. I mean, they really are standalone stories. It's real hard to um, lump them together. Yeah, 100%. And um, so I think that the best way we can uh, end out this episode is with the beloved production pitch. So here's what I'm thinking, right? All right, well, I did the last one. Do you want to do this one first? Do you have a production pitch for it? Okay, go for it. I don't really have a production pitch for this. I'm so sorry. I am not as prepared today as I'd like to be. Last week was real rough. (laughs) No, you're okay. Last week, Kim and I, um, Kim in particular, had spent the entire summer working on Shakespeare in the Park here in Evansville, Indiana, and it went off really, really well. I, it was beautiful. Uh, yeah, and our um, production company, Empty Theater Productions, um, which is a company that we do video editing software and uh, sound editing. We do uh, live streams for local companies, and we produce theater, um, a bunch of different things. We ended up live streaming uh, that over at their Facebook page for them. Uh, and it was really successful. It was really fun. We did some really cool stuff that uh, we're just getting better with it every year. That's right. Um, so last week was particularly stressful. We had a bunch of stuff planned that just kind of fell through because we weren't able to get to it. 
Right, um, and then and then I moved my baby into college yesterday. Congratulations, Jocelyn, who just moved into uh, IU. That's great. Good for her. That's awesome. Um, and yeah, so production pitch. I got this one ready. Yes. This one for me, and I honestly, I might make this one and just go for it. It's a short, short film, right? It's maybe half an hour long. And it's about David Adley, and it is his story of going to the club, you know, and it's everything here. When we get to the breathing method, though, and this is the key part for me, it's never a flashback. The entirety of that story, it is just zoomed in on McCarran's face, and we get it is a good enough actor that can tell you a story for 15 minutes, and you just want to listen to that story. And over his story, there's small images superimposed. So the moment when he kicks the head, you don't see the whole thing, but superimposed over it is like a light image of him kicking that head and seeing it as if it's like a a war flashback for him. Um, And that way you bring the attention not to the incredible tale that he's telling, but to the man who's telling it himself. Mm -hmm. And you bring it to the way that it's being told in that room. Um, And you bring the attention not to like all the like, ridiculousness that you could add to it but you bring it to the importance of just that story and how it's being told in that room and then you do some real crazy stuff with that butler and you do some real fun stuff with the upstairs like just some real cool shots with that and you don't try to take advantage of it and you leave it just as open-ended but you know half hour like short film with this one steve let me know i got this one i'll start working on it sounds Um, great i i really feel like we could put this one together in a really cool way and and on a and on a pretty shoestring budget, I feel like. Oh yeah, definitely. You just need a house, and we got friends with houses. Yeah, exactly. Um, well, guys, this is uh, gonna be the end of it for first time through. I know it's a little bit of a shorter episode than usual, but this was a shorter story than usual. Thanks for hanging out and listening. And don't forget to tune in next week for Bookmark, where we're gonna talk about the season finale of season one. Maybe you'll hear a little bit of our season two promo and what's going to be coming out. And uh, I love you. Thank you so much for your support. Thanks for your support. Talk to you soon. Bye. Bye. Otto, Kim, that was incredibly interesting. Great job today. If you would like to support First Time Through, you can follow us on Facebook, like us on Twitter, or send us an email at firsttimethroughpodcast at gmail.com. You can also become one of our patrons at patreon.com slash through to get exclusive early access, to get exclusive videos, and to become our exclusive friends. If that's interested to you. I'm interested. First Time Through, New Eyes on Castle Rock, is produced by Empty Theater Productions. It was created by Kim Payne and Otto Mullins. Editing by Otto Mullins. Music by Jason Rager. Art by Kurt Payne at Who Knew Art.